Welcome to this podcast, recorded live at the Junction Church, Aberdeen. We pray this message inspires and encourages you. For more information, you can connect with us at www.thejunctionchurch.com. It is so great to be here with you guys. I really feel the faith. I really feel an expectation in here, a hunger, an appetite to see what God wants to do in this place. So I would like us, uh, what I'd like us to do is just, you've already sat down, so that's cool. But just lift your hands up right now. I want us to pray together. I want us just to, to really welcome in the presence of God, to allow him. God, we just thank you, Lord, for how you move our hearts, God. That we give this time over as a time for transformation, a time for challenge, a time for you to come around our lives, to speak into our lives, to speak into our hearts to uplift us, to encourage us, to inspire us, God. That your presence would come, that your spirit would move within us, God, and take us to that place of revelation, God. In the name of Jesus, we give you glory in this place. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, guys, it is uh, my privilege to do the final part in our Godspeed series. Uh, I have uh, been really uh, quite moved and I, I think quite changed uh, as we've gone through the last couple of series, the uh, Beyond Border series, which, which uh, was before this, uh, I really felt like as a church we were really beginning to push the borders. And then once you push those borders, once you get into that new land, that new vicinity, it's like, what are you going to do when you get there? What's going to happen when you get there? And, and Godspeed, I feel, has been this, this tremendously well-timed uh, series where, where really it is about, well, what are we doing when we're beyond those borders? What are we doing when we start facing outside? And uh, one of the things that's really sort of uh, impressed upon me is, is that Godspeed, the title of it, in a sense, gives this, uh, uh, puts an, an emphasis on, on pace. You know, and, and a lot of it has yeah. been, you know, we, we want to slow down. We want to recognize our surroundings. But, but there's also something kind of more to it than just pace. I also think it's, a, it's an issue of precedence. It's also an issue of precedence because it's about the journey as well as the destination. Yeah. It's about the, the journey itself is part of it. If, if, part, if our redemption was sort of limited to just this uh, perspective of, of glory, of, of, how it, of getting to heaven, then it would, it would totally disempower the idea of, of God changing us, mm-hmm. right? It would, it would totally undermine that idea of, of, of allowing God through salvation to change our lives because essentially heaven is a do-over, right? Heaven is a second chance. And so if we just think of it as being, if we think of our redemption as being, oh, that's great, I get to go to heaven now, and then I'll be made perfect. Then it really takes away, it really undermines that whole part of this right now. What God can do right now. It disempowers that entirely. You see, redemption puts an onus upon us to discover the grace, to reveal our salvation to all mankind. That's, that's what our salvation, that's the discovery of grace. I want to read to you from uh, Romans 13, starting in verse 8. New King James all the way today. <laughs> Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet... And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this, saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, 
love is the fulfillment of the law. See, the demonstration of our salvation is manifest through how we show love to our neighbors. That's, that's what that's saying. It's saying, hey, look, there are ten commandments, and then there's all the bits and pieces that are attached after those commandments. But really, when you distill down all the do-nots, when you take all the do-nots in there, really they can actually be summarized in the do's. The do's being love your neighbor. Do love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you're doing the do's, then it's impossible to do the do-nots. Well, that's (laughs) way too many (laughs) do's. But here's the thing about loving your neighbor as yourself. Like, really honestly, it's that, that as humans, we have a tendency towards the impersonal. We, we like to keep... Now, now, sure, family, friends, all that stuff, we, we allow the guard to come down. But, but when you're picking, speaking with sort of somebody new, somebody in a shop, somebody you've met on the street, somebody in the car park, like, there is a guard that we maintain, a, an impersonalness that we feel comfortable with, right? Mm. right? We like to keep it on our terms. We don't yeah. want to reveal too much of ourselves. We like to keep it impersonal. And, and the problem with that is that it undermines the effectiveness of, of being able to love all mankind. It, it, it undermines that. It, yeah. it detracts from that effectiveness. And so the challenge that we, we place upon ourselves as, as Christians is, is what do we need to become more effective what is it we need we recognize that there's a more effective out there we recognize there's a loving all mankind out there and yet there's some sort of deficit there's a divide between what we do and what we feel we should be doing so what do we need to find that effectiveness i want to give you a bit of an example of of how maybe we think about this when i was a teenager I, uh, I started playing golf. Now, I didn't start playing golf because I wanted to start playing golf. I started playing golf because all my friends, their dads played golf. And so they all figured when they hit 15, 16, they should start playing golf. And unless I wanted to be Billy No Mates during the summer holidays, <laughs> I was going to start playing golf. So I started playing golf with them. But I have to be honest with you. I did not have the right temperament for golf. I might still not have the right temperament for golf, but I, I absolutely had the worst. I could not have been more ill-equipped to be playing golf at the age of 16. Uh, it was, I had more chance of sprouting a moustache than developing a decent short game. Like there, was, there was no chance. I mean, I've got more chance right now of sprouting a decent moustache than I would have having any sort of golf skill whatsoever. Uh, there's a stage, hands up anyone who plays golf or has played golf for, for any length of time. This is a few of you here, right? So here's the thing, every golfer, you guys, I mean, there's only like three of you here, but the rest of you, take it, this is the way it goes. There's a point where every golfer kind of loses confidence in their golf clubs. You know, your, 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 your driver, you just lose confidence in it. Your, your irons, you lose confidence in them. Your, your putter, you lose confidence. But the one club, the one club, let's get this going, let's get a little bit of a... <laughs> The one club, still got it. <laughs> the one club that you never ever lose confidence in is your pitching wedge. Amen? You never lose confidence. The reason you never lose your confidence in your pitching wedge is because it's so forgiving. Now, the, the thing is, this, you want your shots to look beautiful. You want to hit them and 
create rainbows with them. You want to just have these beautiful arching shots and pitching wedges will allow you to do that every single time. You don't even need to hit them that well and they'll go. Now, they don't go very far. But you still, every golfer goes through a point where they think, ah, can I just play the whole course with my pitching wedge? At least it will look pretty when I do it. At least it will look nice when I do it. And here's, here's the kind of tease with golf. You can always get better equipment. You can always, hey, look, if, you're, if you hook your drives, they can get a better driver. If you overshoot your putts, you can get a softer putter. There's, there's a whole bunch of things you can do. And that, that's what we did as, as kids. All the money that we would make, save and that we would uh, get through birthdays and Christmases and part-time jobs, we would go down to the little pro shop and, and we'd look at all the fancy new stuff and buy all the cheaper second-hand stuff. Uh, but we would just spend all of our money. Uh, I remember for years after playing golf, my grandmother would still send me golf paraphernalia. And I was like, oh, thanks very much, Grad. I gave up like three years ago. But uh, <laughs> uh, I thank you for uh, sort of supporting my uh, slight interest for a while there but, but, but you can always buy better stuff you can always buy something newer that, that will give you sort of the promise of something more effective but the reality is we probably would have done a lot better if we'd spent all of that money on lessons because here's the rub you can go around upgrading all of your equipment all the time but really there comes a point where you have to hone your skill. There's a point where you just have to get better with what you have. And so instead of asking the question, what, what do I need to become more effective? As if there is something being withheld. As if there's something that we don't yet have that we could do with. Maybe the more difficult question is, why are we not more effective? Already. <laughs> awkward question, awkward silence. Why? Why are we not effective, more effective already? Well, here's the reality. We all, as, as humans, we all wrestle with this, the interface between our awareness of our salvation, what, what goes on inside. There's a, an awareness of our salvation, but it interfaces with the outside world. With, with how that revelation, the, the persona of it, that we have a, a, an awareness on the inside, but there's the outside exhibition of that, the outside showing of that, the persona of it. And so while there is that internal confession, it's like how does that permeate outside of ourselves? How does that go beyond just being something that's inside me to being something that I project to the outside world, like where the, the interface, that interface, this message I preached this morning, it, you, you guys are all hearing it. Mm-hmm. But, but in three days from now, there might be someone who hears this message third or fourth hand, and, and it's going to be difficult for them in reality to totally get a handle on what this message is about, yeah. right? Because there's a limit to that permeation on the outside. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's that interface. We wrestle with that. Let me read to you from one Thessalonians 4. I'm going to read for the rest of my verses from Thessalonians. And uh, it's, it's going to be a real challenge for me because the reality is it is, uh, it is this passage of scripture that really exposes my speech impediment. Uh, and so I am now going to, when I say Thessalonians, 
I'm going to totally ape it so that you won't notice it anymore. I'm going to exaggerate it so that you won't realize it. Now you're going to listen for it, but I'm not going to let you hear it. So I'm going to make it sound way worse. So, from 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So there's a few bits there. There's a few bits, there's a few components that I want to sort of re-put together in something that is, that is kind of revelation. And, and, and there's a few bits I want to break down first. Commandments. It talks about the commandments that we were given to by Jesus. Well, Jesus gave, he broke all of the commandments down into two. He said, love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength. Just love him with every part of you. Mm. The second one, which we just touched on earlier, was love your neighbor as yourself. They're, they're the two commandments that it talks about that, 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 that we were given through Jesus. Now there's a, there's a, var, there's a, a pa, not even a passage, just a turn of phrase within there. It said to abound more and more. I'm going to break this down Greek style. So abound means precious or it, it translates or it's precious. And precious uh, is, it, it, it's, its direct translation is to mean all around, which means essentially whole, complete, to be completely, more and more, from the Greek malon. And malon is a, it's a comparative word. It means more than. So it means, it means to elevate better over good. So when you break down that, that passage of scripture, what, what Paul, the apostle, is encouraging the church to do is to completely elevate their love for God and for man. To completely elevate it. What does that mean? Well, if you think about our lives, our lives are, are, are sort of constrained within a time frame. We, there's a time restriction, a time limitation on everything that we do. And, 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 and I, we have to ask ourselves, what portion of that is self-serving? What portion of that? We think about, think about where your time is essentially at your own agenda, towards your own preferences, the, 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 the parts of it that benefit us over other people. And, and it's easy to be like, well, I, I have to go to work. I, I spend a large portion at work. But work is not like... Because I work as well, and, and there's a large part of work, a large motivation in work, in that, like, one, you want to get recognition for doing a good job. Like, you want to do a good job. You want to stand out. You, you want to be able to earn money, and, and you want to be able to progress. These are not, like, completely, uh, although, although you go and do it, and you do it for the benefit of your family and for the people around you, there is still a personal benefit. You know, you can go, and you're trying to get the best version of the job you have yourself. You don't, the job that you start at the age of 16 or 18 or 21 isn't the job you intend to stay in for the duration of your life. You want to elevate that. You want that thing to become better, to progress that. You want to you sort of pull it towards your own ends. I, I remember... One of the first jobs I had, I had a boss who would, who would 
he would complain about a colleague of mine. Now, the colleague, I, I never had any issue with him, but he would, he would always sort of say this guy was selfish, and I could never understand why, because he seemed like the nicest guy in the world. Uh, but I never worked directly with him. And what my boss was meaning by that, because I remember asking him, I, was like, I don't really understand what you mean by selfish. Like, he seems like he does a great job. And what he said was, he said, he, won't, he will do a great job, but at the expense of everybody else. So if anybody else, he was a specialist, and so if anybody else needed him to do anything, he would only do it when he'd finished what he was doing. He would never interrupt what he was doing. He would never help someone before he helped himself. That was, that was the impression that I was given. And it made me sort of think about that differently. It's like, where is it that our agenda, why is it a self-serving? How much of that is, is about our, what we want to achieve, what we want to do, what we want to see happen? It's like, that's the completely elevate love that we're talking about here that we would place emphasis that we would reapportion that balance and place emphasis on areas that are previously neglected and as Paul goes on he zeroes in on an even more specific challenge in in verse 9 he says but concerning brotherly love you have no need that I should write to you For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren that are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, as we commanded you. But that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing saw that turn of phrase, slightly different but kind of the same, increase more and more. Actually, if you look at the Greek, it's exactly the same words. It it means essentially completely elevating. And what Paul, so if you look at that, take that, and you put it within the context of what he's talking about, what he's encouraging the church to do is to go beyond the expected measure of love for all mankind. To go beyond it. To go beyond what's natural. To go beyond what, is, what, what we feel capable of. Yeah. To go beyond that for mankind. Yeah. So we, we are able to love. He even talks about there, he says, look, it's great. You guys love, you love all the brethren. You love all the brethren in Macedonia. But I am asking more than that. And you know what? It's easy. Not easy, but, but we can Comfortably, maybe? Or, or we, we are capable of loving those within our immediate community. Yeah. Yeah. We're able to, to have uh, a love, an affection, a, a, a hope in, in those in, within this room, you know, in, in our community. We're able to do that. But, but how do you stretch that beyond mm. your immediate community? Because as humans, we're inclined, when left to our own devices to draw borders, to pick sides, to alienate, yeah. and even dominate. That's, that's part of the human condition. So the love that Paul speaks of, is not, it's not natural to any one of us. So don't feel bad. I don't say that for anyone being like, oh, no, guess us humans are rubbish. No, 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 that's not what we're saying here. It's like, understand, what we're talking about here is, is a level above what, as a human, we are capable of doing. Incapable or unable to anyone other than to God. And so what is it 
that makes God so uniquely qualified? Well, it's a number of things. It's that his intentions are purely motivated out of love. His love is complete. It is whole. It is equal. It is unembarrassed at the lengths of its devotion. It is, it is without any dysfunction because he always operates out of a place of love. So, so he is therefore without cynicism, without skepticism. He is neither defensive nor argumentative. He is perfect. He is beyond reproach. And as such, he is holy by nature. And so to understand a love that can envelop all of mankind is to see it from his point of view. How does that manifest in our life? How do we get that point of view? It says so in that scripture. It says, lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your hands. Now, I read that scripture like maybe a couple of months ago and, I, and it stuck with me. Because it seemed rather pedestrian. It seemed kind of mundane. It actually seemed a little bit counterintuitive to, to this whole sort of journey we were going on as a church. That idea that let's get out there. Let's just start getting involved in people's lives and all that kind of stuff. You know? And then you're reading about this, oh, mind your own business. Lead a quiet life. It's like, ah, well, I'm a little bit confused here. You have to understand that there's God, God has a nature of love. That he shares with us. And that is what he's talking about increasing. Elevating the quantity of that within our life. And and when you do that, you have to replace something. So He's asking us to replace the the inclination of man. People have a, we have a persuasion towards disquiet. What do I mean by that? What, What do I mean by disquiet? Well, There is sort of an inclination within people to, to seek out and to find an adversary, to find an impo- opponent, to, to place your competitive inclinations. There is, or, or, or maybe to even take it to an even more sort of deeper level, man revels in the feeling of superiority they get from believing another to be stupid and incompetent. And inadequate. There's, and, I, and, and it goes even worse, right? And I've done this. I'm sure everybody has done this. But the thing, you know the move where you sidle up to sort of a boss or a leader or somebody who owns some sort of authority and you just light the touch paper. You, you introduce innocently the conversation you know is going to lead to that person blowing up about somebody else. Just letting them, letting them go, just winding them up, winding them up, and then watching them go. <laughs> watching them explode. Watching them ra- just, just rant on somebody else. Why do we do that? 
Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because it helps create a sense of superiority because we get to be the confidant. We get to be on the inside track. We get to hear all about the dirt and grime, and we look perfect in the, in the process. Mm. That's, that's mankind. That's human nature. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's the condition of our humanity. But that meddling, that meddling that we do, that is the disquiet that I'm talking about. Mm. That is the disruption that we cause in lives. You see, rivalries, they separate communities because the onus is on the individual. As they succeed, they become more and more isolated because they take nobody with them, because they go it alone. It's the reason why not all, but lots of rich and successful people feel distant and disconnected. Because they've, they've had to go it alone. They've had to go out to, to reach those extents of success. You have to leave so many people behind mm. that when you get there, you're on an island. You feel mm. disconnected. You feel distant. There was a documentary that came out, uh, I think it was sort of the end of last year, called Momentum Generation. It was about a group of surfers. It was uh, produced by a very famous surfer, particularly from the sort of 90s, uh, a guy called Kelly Slater, who even if you don't know anything about surfing, you might have heard his name. And he, he did this documentary. And what it really focuses in on is this uh, idea uh, that there was a period, back in, I think it was like the 80s or something, uh, Kelly's mother bought a house on the beach uh, in Australia, one of the beaches. And it just happened to be... Uh, it was at a really perfect point. I think they call it the pipe. Pipe is like a, a, apparently a, a, a good concentration of, uh, of, of great waves. And what happened was they lived there and all of these local kids just started hanging around. They just became this sort of surf community. They would stay over at his house and they would just have fun. They would just encourage each other and they would just build each other up to be the best version of themselves. They would surf all day and they just had this wonderful community such that when they joined the world tour, they were basically the best surfers in the world. Like this small, localized community of young guys who were all looking for something, all needing something, and they became the elite of surfing in the 90s. And they did that for a while. And it was, they, for a while, it was like when one of them won, they all won because they were the team. They were the guys. They were the, the underdogs. And, and they'd now taken over the establishment. But, and this is human nature again. The tagline for the film is, friendships, relationships, is winning worth giving those things up for. And there's a point where, where people start to take care of themselves. They start to see that they can get ahead. There becomes an enticement for material gain, for, for material stuff. And that, that promise becomes a pressure such that you need it, such that you have to separate yourselves. And all of these guys, although they were very successful, just began to separate out. That close-knit community stopped being so close anymore. And they all just sort of went their own ways and, and got involved in all this sort of stuff that, that you do when you're successful but alone. And, and it only switched around when there became this sort of collective 
realization that, that they needed to get back to where they had all started. And they, they basically reformed that community, in their, I guess in their 40s or something. And they just were like, well, you know, we could be still sort of pushing this. We could still be out there trying to win, but, but really, what are we even achieving in this? And they came back together, and they came back, and they started to have that community. It changed when they turned around to face each other. Because what happens when you face each other is that you begin to notice what's praiseworthy. You begin to notice what is, what is encouragement, what is, what, is, what is good, what is the genius in another person. You begin to notice that stuff and you begin to encourage them in it. You begin to encourage them. And so when, so when God says, work with your own hands, what he's saying is, you know what? That success, that promotion I'm giving you is not to promote you out of your circumstances. It's that you can lift your circumstances. I lift you such that you can lift that which is around you. I encourage you, church, 100% on this. Never be afraid to be the hub. Never be afraid to be that, that point of contact, that central point. Never be afraid to be the hub. Never be afraid that people would come to you. Never be afraid that that is a responsibility because that is what it's all about. That you create that hub. Maybe it is that the community isn't there, but it only will be there when you create it. When you start drawing people in. When you start noticing and encouraging and building up. That's the community. That's what we lift. Don't be afraid to be the hub. Here's the promise. And here's the promise that supports that. As you aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business and to work with your hands, own hands. You will walk properly toward those who are outside and you will lack nothing. You, you walk towards the people that are outside. You begin to see them. You can only walk towards what you notice. You can only walk towards what you see. And you will lack nothing. There is success, there is promotion, but it's not for our own glory. It's that we would lift up those around you. You will walk towards those outside of your community in a manner that is wholesome, that is upstanding and is prosperous. God makes us captivating. That's a bit of a challenge on some of us because some of us don't want to be captivating. Some of us don't want to be even noticed. But God, what God produces in our life, what the power of God does when we allow him to is, he makes us captivating. He makes us unignorable. He makes us inspiring and encouraging to those around us. It's why, it's why when you look, and I can say this because they're not here, and I can say it unabashedly, but Kevin and Cheryl, our, our lead pastors here, they are extraordinary people. And yet there's nothing special about them. They are extraordinary though, because they can come around you, 
And they can speak into your life and you feel it, you see it, you recognize what God is doing in your life. You begin to take that encouragement. There is something extraordinary because they aren't afraid to be the hub. They aren't afraid to encourage, afraid to notice. But is there anything special about them? No. They're they're regular people. They've just allowed God to make them extraordinary. That's That's it all about. That's the completely elevating that I'm talking about. That's the going beyond that I'm talking about. I've, I've recently had a bit of a revelation in my own life. Uh, some of you guys will know that I, I'm, at the moment I'm working on a, a project, an invention of sorts, uh, in my own time. And I'm getting support from one of the local universities, and it's going really good. It's going really well. It's still beginning stages, but, but we've managed to get funding and all that kind of stuff. And I've been asked a question over the last few months from various people, family, people in church. Uh, you may have even asked me. And it's like, well, what do, what do I see the end game being? And essentially this idea of, like, how, how can I see where this would end, or where would I get out? It's like, is there a point where, like, if somebody comes along, you know, best case scenario, somebody comes along and says, hey, we'll give you this much money for your idea. It's like, what would that value be? And I've been asked that, and I've kind of not really known exactly, but I've known how I would figure it out. I've I've thought to myself, well, you know, I'd want to have enough that, you know, I could just, you know, I could not necessarily have to work or at least be paid to work, or I could choose, you know, that sort of comfort. And, you know, I'd want to be able to just sort of take care of, put the kids through uni, and I'd like to have a little bit left over to just sew into the church and all that kind of, and, you know, it's this sort of idea. It's like, what would be the minimum requirement I would need to be able to get out? And what I have been challenged with so much over the last, I think it is, month, is what a closed-minded, selfish way that is to look at that question. Because I 100% believe this was an idea that I was given from God. So what right do I have to sell that off at the lowest price? What right do I have to take that which God has given me and just give it away so that I can be comfortable? The whole point of it is that I should be able, if it, if it produces, that I should be able to elevate. That I should be able to lift. That I should be able to sow. That's the point of it. And it's taken me probably two years to figure out that it's the point of it. But that's the whole point of it. If it is to be successful, if it is to grow, if it is to yield, it's for the building of the kingdom of God. That's the point of it. And that's the point of everything. It's like all of the blessing, all of the gifting, all of the things, whether it be big or small or in between, it is all about the building, the uplifting, the upholding of the community that are around us and to go beyond. See, our message is, is communicated. It's first communicated. It's most effectively communicated by how differently we appear to the outside world. That's that's how it is. It's just we stand out. We look different. We we are different in the way we treat people, how we accommodate them, how we support them, how, how how we come around their lives, how we are allow ourselves to be vulnerable around them. That's the differently. Can I get someone on keys, please? Last scripture before I finish. One Thessalonians. (laughs) 
3, verse 11. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct you, direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. The whole thing, the whole point of salvation is that we let God change us such that we can lift and love all mankind beyond what our natural capacity would allow. Don't allow yourself to be limited or restricted by what you think you can do. Allow it to be dictated by what you know he can do. Because he can establish your intentions to be pure like his. We recognize the Spirit's direction in our life. We recognize, we acknowledge the Spirit as he comes around us, showing us the avenues where we can accommodate, where we can support, where we can help, where we can encourage, where where we can be inconvenienced. That is holiness. That is wholeness. That is the mending of us. That is his fingerprints impressed upon us. That is him identifying us to the world as his. Thanks for joining with us. For more information about events, service times and how to connect with us, visit www.thejunctionchurch.com.